we've got a Deptra pillow, which you'll see up behind me, which is white on white. And it's got this beautiful embroidered shell, an oversized shell, but the white on white, so it feels very simple, very elegant. But then I felt was just a, a big shell on a cushion. Very beautiful, but you want a slight surprise. And on the back, there's going to be a tiny little fly. Welcome to Houseguest with me, Carol Annett, where I chat to people who shape the world around us through decoration and design. This week, I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest, India Hicks. A former fashion model and interior designer, she's an accomplished businesswoman and humanitarian. Born in 1967, she's the third child of Lady Pamela Mountbatten and David Hicks. Her mother was lady-in-waiting to the Queen and her father a renowned interior designer. I caught up with her on a very hot day this summer at the headquarters of Heirlooms in Sussex, where she's about to launch a range of bed linen. She's a fascinating woman and I hope you enjoy it. I am sitting with India Hicks, a British designer, model, interior designer, businesswoman, humanitarian, mum of five, and obviously sprinkled with a lot of royal connections. I didn't, India, I didn't quite know where to start with you because you are so many wonderful things all wrapped up in the wonderful you that I kind of, what, how would you describe yourself? I'm not sure my five kids would agree with the wonderful, <laughs> the wonderful me. Um, I would actually oddly start with being a mum first, probably the most important job I do. But I am very lucky that I have a lot of energy and I've always worked and always wanted to work. So I'm definitely not a stay at home mum. And I've been lucky enough to have help. But I think that many women now feel that they can ask for help. That's very important too. I had a small big business or a big small business for a number of years in America, based in America for six years. And we were empowering one another and it was fantastic. And I worked with women of a certain age whose kids were beginning to leave home and they were thinking, what am I going to do next? And they didn't really know what to do next. So we built a lifestyle brand and we sold it through a network of amazing women. And it was an extraordinary experience and it was fantastic because I really got to understand America and I worked very, very, very hard. I poured my heart and soul into it, as did the women I worked with. We were a sort of luxury Avon, essentially. But it was just so interesting to see these women just flourish and come alive with the excitement of building their own businesses. And then, as many, many startups do, we failed, although they like to say we didn't fail, we closed. And we did close the brand. But it was very painful and very humiliating. And I really spent a couple of months licking my wounds and wondering what was I going to do next. But in that time, I came back to kind of being a mum, a total mum. And two of my kids said, right, let's go and learn to kite surf. And I thought, fantastic. That's exactly what you do when your business after six years has failed. You go and learn to kite surf. Oh, here comes your cup of tea. That's really Thank you. Uh, I think we have to explain that we're we're sitting with a fan going. (laughs) Thank you so much. We are in Bognor Regis for a very good reason, which is? Well, we're here in the workshops of Heirloom. And Heirloom is a wonderful British brand that does luxury bed linen. And they approached me to see if I'd like to collaborate with them. And it's been a fantastic journey. And after the business that I just talked about failed and I had learnt to kite surf, I got very heavily involved with two philanthropic endeavours. And that became a real focus for me. And 
I then just slowly, slowly dipped my toe back into the designing world because I think I hurt so much from the failure of that business and thinking, I, I just couldn't believe that we weren't going to make it succeed because we were all so passionate about it and had two brilliant German CEO and business partners who were driving it. And we had a $30 million business within three years and we had 5,000 ambassadors across America and it was just so amazing, but it didn't work. And so it took me a while to come back from that and working for Global Empowerment Mission. And there's a reason why I'm starting with that because I get back around to why I'm sitting here in heirlooms today. But I started working with Global Empowerment Mission, which is an amazing organization. It's a disaster relief agency. When I started working with them four years ago, they were very, very small. And now they are very considerable and their reach is within 52 countries. So if Australia are having wildfires or if there is flooding in an American state or if, in fact, a war breaks out in Europe, Global Empowerment Mission are now one of the first disaster relief agencies to be on the ground there because their reach is far and their experience is now very great. And I have the privilege of sitting on their board. And so I've got very involved with them, not just in the Bahamas, where we had a devastating hurricane wipe out, literally wipe out two islands neighbouring where I live, but also in Ukraine. So I've spent much of this past year going back and forth to Ukraine. And actually, just this morning here in the workshops of Heirloom, I went upstairs to see some of the wonderful women sewing, literally sewing these beautiful sheets. And one of them was Ukrainian and it makes me it makes me cry now. But I explained to her through another Polish woman who was in there who was able to speak Russian because, of course, in Ukraine and Poland, they speak a lot of Russian because Russia was their neighbour. They felt Russia was their brother until the invasion. And she and I just had a moment upstairs where we hugged and I shared the photographs that I've had taken while I've been there. And I've got many Ukrainian friends now who I work with. But what was so lovely was the kind of coming together the full circle of life that actually somehow I've been brought here to heirlooms to create a collection of bedding and on that journey I'm able to sit upstairs and find a wonderful Ukrainian woman who is benefiting from the generosity of England of being able to bring refugees into the country and to support them and to work with companies like heirlooms who support women in need and women with talent and women who can um, bring something to a company such as this. So it's just, it was a whole, this morning, it was just a moment of feeling very much in the right place at the right time. And that was Bogner Regis. <laughs> and what, um, so tell me a little bit more about what you were actually physically doing in Ukraine, because that must have been quite terrifying. It is, and it isn't. It's extraordinary. Again, working with a disaster relief agency, you are you're seeing the kind of the worst and the most frightening of especially climate change, but also war. And when I am out there and I felt very strongly that if I was going to sit on that board, there are a number of things that I can do. I can bring awareness through the, the kindness of people who follow me on Instagram. And that now is is, again, an audience that are engaged. And so I'm very grateful for that. But I'm able to tell stories. Some are wonderful stories of my heritage, or my father's great designs or my mother's upbringing or being a mum of five and the craziness of everyday life, but also the story of these philanthropic foundations that I work with and people are very generous in responding. But it makes it much more real when you're actually there on the ground, whether that is in the Bahamas after a hurricane or whether that is on the Ukrainian-Russian border with missiles being fired and bombs going off. And when I'm there, on the ground, I am able to raise a considerable more amount of money because people see it. And I can connect big donors, people who I know who are like, yeah, but maybe the Red Cross, maybe Global Empowerment Mission. And I'll say, right, meet Anna. Anna's home has gone. She now has nowhere to live. She's living in a bunker underground. 
And the donor will then say, I understand. I will rebuild Anna's home. And so we're, and then I can go back six months later and show the donor what the progress has been. And that I think is very worthwhile. It's worthwhile for me, it's worthwhile for the donor, and it's certainly worthwhile for Anna. But it's only because of the brilliance of an agency like Global Empowerment Mission. And I'm also able to reassure a donor that their money is, is going being to yeah, used. is being used yeah. in the right way. And the overhead is very, very minimal yeah. because the idea is empowering local teams. So it's not a big American organization coming in. It's a team being educated on the ground as to how to continue running with the work that's set up. And it's not just giving out immediate aid, which we do, and I do a lot when I'm there. We take 18-wheeler trucks and then we go into sprinter vans, especially in Ukraine where it's very dangerous because the trucks obviously are a target. And myself would think, right, we're going to get rid of that aid truck. So we take the aid trucks and then leave them in a safe place and then get into these sprinter vans and go off into the smaller villages that have been completely cut off. And without the assistance of something like the Global Empowerment Team, they would have no running water, especially after the dam. And they would have no aid. And in these boxes, it's amazing. You get, and it depends on the season, it depends on the need of the village, so that they're very catered for. They're very, they're very edited down, these boxes. But you may have battery packs, people have not been able to contact family members. And the woman upstairs here today in the workshop at Heirlooms, she said she's been able to speak to her parents, but she says at the moment she's able to sleep because there is peace in the village that they're in. But where they came from, there wasn't. So the immediate aid in the box is very, very beneficial. But in my experience, the experience that I've seen, the box also is hope. And when someone sees you coming with a box, regardless of what is in it, they think that they haven't been forgotten. And that is so important, not just in Ukraine, but also in the Bahamas, also in, in Syria, also in Turkey after, a, after a, an earthquake. I have to admit, I have never heard of Global Empowerment Mission, and it sounds extraordinary. It is. It really is amazing. And so in, in that, whilst I was working with them, I was approached by a number of smaller British brands to start designing again. At first I said, I, I'm not sure I really want to go back to this. And then I started with a wonderful brand called Tusting. 1875, it's been in the same family. And the reason I highlight them especially is when I came here to Heirlooms today, I felt that there was a real connection Ruth, who is the powerhouse behind, and she really is. She's a, she's powerhouse, <laughs> and and we love this. We love this kind of woman who gets things done. And yeah. and, and I, they had a royal. Do they still have a royal? They warrant? have two royal warrants, okay, because, which are being updated as we speak. I was going to say because that. So just explain a little bit. When a monarch dies, their royal war. I'm looking at you as if because you know much more about this than me. So the monarch dies, but then the royal warrants get given out again, or the king now has his new everyone's doing new royal warrants. It's that. Ah, it's okay. A, it's a bit of both. Yeah. My understanding is that the one that the Queen may have supported, you can reapply to see if the king would then take it on. Okay. But you but you have to go through a whole process. Yeah. And I think they get um three years. So they the Heirlooms, as an example, can carry the Queen's Royal Warrant for three more years whilst seeing whether the new monarch will take it on. It's a very complicated process. But I think, especially for England, it's a valuable one and one that we still respect. And yeah, when you see absolutely. royal warrants in an American audience are very titillated by it as well. So I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing. And it also again just gives a stamp of approval. And heirlooms, again, with the name heirloom, it's just such a wonderful word. But with Tusting, same kind of setup, the same family. It's a small artisanal 
process and again downstairs meeting the people who have worked here. It's really a family business. So you'll meet a son cutting sheets and upstairs his dad will be dealing with the with the export import side of the business. I love that. There are many Polish women who are friends and they've brought their other friends here. And Ruth runs a very tight family feeling team and that I like being part of that. So I work with Tusting, I work with Penelope Chilvers, also boots, beautiful boots. I went out to her workshops in Spain. Again, artisanal ways of crafting things that have a handmade feel. And we're going to see that a lot with the heirlooms, the way that everything is actually finished. They don't have any big, big machinery up there. It is women actually hand ironing and pressing the, the sheets before they go out. So I, I'm, I'm really feeling very lucky to have found my way into the design world again, but in a very different way, much smaller way, much more artisanal, much more family vibe. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about this wonderful collection. It's called Warm Harbour, obviously your home in Harbour Island and bringing together. And it's got the Harbour Island look about it, feel about it, the colours, the motifs you use. Tell us about the story that we'll find in the in the linens. And it's a bed linen collection. Correct, bed linen. I've lived on Harbour Island in the Bahamas for 27 years. But and I'm what, sorry, what took you there in the first place? Well, goodness. Um, so my <laughs> father was a very great designer in the 60s and 70s, David Hicks. David Hicks. Yep. And his work is very emulated today. Uh, you'll see a lot, of it, a lot of hints of it within Tory Burch or Gucci. And it's extraordinary how his wild passion for vibrating colour schemes is as exciting today as it was when he was creating them in the 60s. But of course, being David Hicks, when he had the opportunity to build a home in the Bahamas, he didn't build just a regular holiday home. He built a home that was inspired by an Egyptian mausoleum. And why not? And why not? Until you <laughs> realise that we have a very severe hurricane season and, and there is a reason for pitched roofs rather than flat roofs. Flat roofs hold the rain and houses don't like that. I have inherited this wonderful home on Windermere Island, which is a neighbouring island to Harbour Island which means the ideal with the flat roof and the rain that sits on it for many months of the year. It's the money pit. It shouldn't be called Savannah. It's called Savannah, but it should be called the money pit. <laughs> However, I grew up going to the money pit and loving it. Um, and we had cousins who have a house across the road. So Windermere Island on Eleuthera is a very special island. And in fact, oddly, the, 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 our present day queen, king would come on holiday with my aunt and uncle across the road. My grandfather would be of us. And my grandfather was a, a wonderful mentor to the king um and so it was that kind of island where you can have absolute privacy and you don't have any intrusion of the press at all so having gone there all my life a friend of my sister's david flintwood ended up coming to the island to be with my sister and spend some time on holidays and he fell in love with that part of the world and he ended up on harbour island a neighboring island to the north and he ended up running a small boutique hotel there i hadn't seen him for many 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 years and i found my way up to harbour island when i was staying on windermere because i wanted to go scuba diving and somehow I re-met David and one thing led to another and he is now 27 years old. So we had five <laughs> children together um, and, and we've had many, many adventures. But home is the Bahamas, strangely. I just want to go back because you adopted a child as well. That's right. So is that, yes. is he, is Wesley part, is he the five or is he the number six? He's the five. He's, he's part of the he's five. He's the five. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I have five children. Wesley, he's been in our lives since he was about two and then his mother died when he was 11. So he's been with us officially since he was 11. So I always say I have five children. People say, how old are they? I say, well, I have two 26-year-olds. <laughs> and they say, oh, are they twins? I say, no, one is black and one is white. They're definitely not twins. 
But um, but no, Wesley is absolutely, absolutely one of my children. He didn't come out of me, but he grew in my heart. Ah, amazing. So, well, I think you were asking about the collection and it being called Warm Harbour. And yeah. was that a reflection of my life in the Bahamas? It definitely is. But I'm also, I spend a great deal of time in the UK because I'm very close to my mum. And some of my kids are here, as I mentioned, in school and university. And I built a home here in England as well. So Britain and the Bahamas are very, very close to me. And I always want to be very conscious that when someone is buying a collection that I've designed, I want it to feel a timeless and I want them to feel that they can use it in its seasonless. So today on a very hot day in Bognor Regis, the collection looks wonderful, but I want it to work in Christmas in the cold English countryside as well. Yeah. So we've chosen these colours that do feel, I think, seasonless and there's this warm grey um, and we've we've called it morning mist grey and we've called it tidal blue and then we've got shell white um, and I think all three of those work both for men and for women different houses different locations in different countries. And what about the feel of the cotton and the thread count and all that nitty-gritty did you get involved in all that? Very much so when I design a collection I want to know absolutely everything I want to know where the cotton's coming from, I want to know how it's weaved, I want to know the end product, I want to know the pricing, I want I want to have my fingerprints all over it because it matters to me. And interestingly, one of the things I've learned with my journey with heirlooms is that actually thread count is rather slightly smoke and mirrors because you should traditionally count the weft and not the warp. And many people may count the weft and the warp and put that out as a thread count. So I think I would encourage people not to get hooked up on thread counts you need to make sure that it has got luxury somewhere in there and that it is it is Italian woven and that they're using the best quality yarn possible. So thread count's a little strange. I think actually the collection I'm putting out is a 300 thread count. However, if you compared that to possibly a Peter Jones 300 thread count, you would find that ours is actually a 600 thread count. So sure. it's... it's yeah. it, and also it's, it's very much down to, you know, what you like to feel when you slip between the sheets where yes. you know the, the feeling you know some are smoother some are, and it's the way they wash and and you know if you buy heirlooms it's going to last for a very long time it's going to last for a very long time and again that's important to me as well I want someone who's investing in my collection to feel that they're getting real quality and, and yeah. that it's accessible and we're not too luxury up there so things like our decorative pillows that have beautiful piping around the outside you can take them off and put them on a washing machine So it has to be practical. I live a very manic, crazy life with five children, far too many dogs and animals. And there's a lot of there's a lot of mud and sand in there as well. Um, So I want to make sure that whatever I'm however I'm living, it's not too precious uh, and that it's a little bit more gritty. And it's quite a detailed design on the so the bed sheets themselves are plain. Correct. And then you've got quite a detailed design, which is going on a big square. I don't know all the official names of all the, yeah. but it's probably got a proper name. Yeah. For well, a big I think, square pillow. Yes, but you're right. We should find a proper name for a big square <laughs> pillow. That's that's so obvious. Why do we not have a proper name for a big square pillow? But yes, what well, and again, I like to have things that have sort of double meaning so so when I work with Penelope Chilvers and we're designing let's say a pair of cowboy boots I don't want them just for riding or I don't want them just for walking in the English wood I want them to be able to worn to a dinner in London as well so tiny details and these are these are just I'm launching those in November we're taking off the little tab at the top so it doesn't look quite so cowboyish but it's still got the beautiful length of a cowboy boot in this beautiful dark green suede it's just incredibly elegant. And inside there's a surprise, which is it's got this leopard skin lining, oh, which wow. you would just never expect. Same with my heirloom 
Uh, we've got a Deptra pillow, which you'll see up behind me, which is white on white. And it's got this beautiful embroidered shell, an oversized shell. But the white on white set feels very simple, very elegant, because heirlooms have a special embroidery machine and no one in England can do the quality that heirlooms are doing with their, with their embroidery machines. I said, we have to get an embroidery in there. But then I felt was just a, a big shell on a cushion. Very beautiful, but you want a slight surprise. And on the back, there's going to be a tiny little fly just embroidered <laughs> the bottom. So when you turn it over, what? There's a little fly just sitting there, just as a fun. And then our, in the deck shift, the large deck shift cushions, we've got this map that's been painted of the islands that I live on in the Bahamas, an old, beautiful sepia map. And we've got my lovely ducks and banger. Um, and we've got our parrot Jenga and this mapped in, but it looks like a twirl. And I think twirl does very well, both for men and for women in all sorts of geographical locations around the world. People can relate to a twirl. But on the reverse of the pillow, we've just got a plain ticking. So you can twist it around. Some days you may feel like a plain ticking mood and some days you may feel like a twirl mood. Um, and tell us why the parrot is called Jenga. Crazily. Harbour Island attracts wonderful, wonderful characters. At different times of year, they come through. And at one point, um, funnily enough, Mick Jagger called up um, to say he was coming. But David, my now husband, wasn't expecting Mick Jagger to call. Uh, So when (laughs) the phone rings and David picks it up and there's a voice that says, I I don't dare even do the Mick Jagger accent, but you can all imagine the gruff voice saying, can I speak to India? David says, sure, who is this? And he says, Mick. And David says, Mick who? And he goes, Mick Jagger. And David says, very funny and hangs up the phone thinking it's a prank call. Um, When I then say, he says, you know, oh my goodness, you won't believe it, some idiot called pretending to be Mick Jagger. I said, actually, that is Mick. Um, So as a friend of a friend, he was wanting to know where to stay on Harbour Island and the sort of slight ins and outs. The wonderful thing for Mick coming to Harbour Island is that, you know, he can come out and dance in the local club because he isn't, um, in the Bahamas, they would be much more interested if Jay-Z popped up. So Mick had a wonderful <laughs> time where he was very unbothered on Harbour Island. We had a couple of fun nights out. But also it was storm season as so there were a number of days where there was terrible rain. So we sat inside and what were we going to do? Oh, we played Jenga. And we were having crazy games of Jenga with the building blocks that you know have to stabilise. Lots of laughs. Um, and uh, we had just acquired a parrot with a, with a twisted beak because nothing in my life is normal at all. <laughs> So, of course, we have a parrot with a twisted beak and he was very young and he hadn't learned how to stand up on his on his little stand in his perch yet. And he kept falling off just like the Jenga. And Mick said, Jenga. And we said, that's the perfect name for our parrot, Jenga. Um, so Jenga is on the beautiful hand-painted uh, twirl design for the heirloom linen collection. So did you sit with the artist or did you sketch out some stuff or did you put some ideas I put a mood board together and sent it over saying these are the things that I think are personal and wonderful that that's a starting point for them and then there's also written in the bottom live an extraordinary life very subtle very small at the bottom and that's going to be on the belly band of all of our packaging for heirlooms packaging of course will be responsible very sustainably sourced but I think live an extraordinary life it is nice to go to bed thinking let's live an extraordinary life it's also nice having the title Warm Harbour because I think harbour is somewhere where you go to be safe, where you bring in your boat, where you know you're not with any storms. And when we get into our beds, we all want to feel that we're safe. Um, so I think Warm Harbour is a perfect title for this yeah, collection. I completely agree. It sounds absolutely lovely. Now, I read somewhere that your bridesmaid dress from obviously from the wedding with Prince Charles and, Charles and Lady Diana and when your mother was bridesmaid to the Queen and Prince Philip, were they, they were both hanging on the wall in your house. Is that still? That's absolutely right. Yes, it's so funny. I think mum and I are probably the only royal 
bridesmaids, mama, mother and daughter royal bridesmaids. What, what, what a claim to fame. Goodness, I hope that I'll go to my grave with people thinking that I did a little bit more than just, just being a royal bridesmaid, um, because there's not an awful lot that I did to achieve that. No, but it's such a charming little story. It's just, just and so it, it's charming. Actually, you know what, my, my mother's bridesmaids dress is much is, is, is a much more interesting story in a way. I mean, mine was pretty fantastic because it was the 1980s. And so obviously it was that extraordinary moment of fashion where everything was very over the top. And it's quite an over the top bridesmaid's dress. And Diana, as we know, had a quite an over the top dress and, and a 25 foot wedding train, which I had to deal with. Most of the photographs of my bum in the air as I'm sorting out that, <laughs> that wedding train, just trying to shove it into that golden carriage. And an amazing, amazing, at the time, it was an amazing fairy tale wedding. And of course, you know, history has revealed itself to have a very different ending to the story. But, you know, how wonderful that we have such an extraordinary king who I think is going to make a very amazing monarch because he has a very strong woman beside him and because he's so considerate and because he was doing things before any of us ever thought about hugging a tree or paying attention or using yogurt as gas or uh, recycling glass, all of the things that he was doing, we thought he was bonkers. And now we realize actually he was so prescient. So I think we're in, it's gonna be a very wonderful, a very wonderful reign that we have at the moment. But my mum was invited to be a bridesmaid to the Queen. And my mum was out in India. My grandfather was the last viceroy and they were handing about power. Again, a very amazing part of history and time. And my mum was there really watching a country on the verge of civil war. And they were dealing with an awful lot. So to, to even think about going back to England for a royal wedding was, was madness. But actually Nehru guided them and said, we think you should go back and be part of this because I think if you don't, people will really think that, that India is in crisis mode and it's it's really unstable. So they went back to England for a very short amount of time to, to go to the wedding. But of course, all the other bridesmaids had all their dress fittings and my mother hadn't. So she, hers was very rushed at the end. But England was coming out of a time of great austerity, having just finished with the war. And it was wonderful because there was still rationing, clothing rations and many, many of the wonderful women around England sent in their clothing coupons so the Queen could have a more marvellous dress. In actual fact, what they did was they returned the clothing coupons, but she did have a marvellous dress um, made of lots of toile and beautiful sea pearls, and it was pretty spectacular. And you're quite right, my bridesmaid's dress and my mum's hang side by side in my home in Oxfordshire. Well, I think that's actually charming. And now I want to know where you're going to be using this linen. Are you going to be using it in the Bahamas and in Oxfordshire? Is it going to be on the master suite, the guest bedrooms? Well, I would like to use it absolutely everywhere and I've designed it very much in mind. I can think of it in the Bahamas. I can think of that blue in the Bahamas, but I can equally think of our morning mist gray in the guest room of my home in England, which has got these marvelous material walls, tartan walls, and I think the chocolate misty gray twirl will look wonderful there. It depends how generous I'm feeling as to whether I will spoil my children with this collection or not, but certainly <laughs> I will be sleeping on it. Well, I'm sure whatever you do with it, it will look absolutely beautiful. Um, India, thank you so much. It's really generous of you to share your time. And, I, you know, the problem is I'm going to have to go and buy some, as soon as those Penelope Chilvers boots, I'm yes. going to have to have a pair now. Wonderful. Thank you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for joining me today. You can hear more House Guest on British Airways in-flight entertainment in the audio section, along with our sister podcast, Breakout Culture, with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Metcalf. You can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett.